look up the word odyssey in the dictionary, you know that it's a long journey, a trip, down memory lane maybe. Well, we have that today with the Football Odyssey's host, Aaron Harris, as he's going to join us to talk about the greatest number 59s that ever played in the NFL. That's all coming up in a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we are podcasting from America's North Shore, bringing you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So in taking the snap from the SportsHistoryNetwork.com and handing off to PigskinDispatch.com, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com, and we have another great bonus edition. The Football by Numbers takes us all the way to jersey number 59, and this is not a solo mission tonight. We have some great help. And a guy that's I'm really looking forward to talking to. We've talked, had him on the program before, and that's Aaron Harris of the Football Odyssey podcast. And he's also got a great website, The Football Odyssey. Let's bring him in right now. Aaron Harris, welcome to the Pigpen. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit. I'm not sure. I think your last numbers were probably in the 30s, and uh, we've missed you yeah. for a while. Maybe, yeah, maybe we had you in the 40s. No, I think the last time was 37, because that's 37, when we did, okay. we did mostly uh, safeties. Yeah, yeah, well, today it's a little bit different. It's still the defensive side of the ball, but I think we're going to have the backers hitting us of number 59s yeah. today. If you love linebackers, you'll love this show. Yeah, that's 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 right my neighborhood. I love the backers. So so what's uh, been going on since the last time we talked to you? How, how's everything going with the podcast? It's going well. Um uh, Pretty good variety of guests so far. The most recent one was uh, Jack McKeon. Of, he's the CEO of American Football International. So we got to talk about his new site and what it's like to cover football around the globe and sort of some of the you know possibilities and the potential of the sport around the world. Um, also had uh, – we had Scott Hansen on the show a little – I think it was about a month, a month and a half ago. So that was fun and exciting. And then we had uh, Upton Bell. That's a longer one. It's about two hours running. But, uh, yeah, he's a great wealth of knowledge and a lot of experience. So wow, he's uh, it's been busy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they've been great to talk to, all for different reasons. But that's kind of like the good thing about doing uh, you know, your own show. You can kind of dictate who you talk to and really kind of go as in-depth as you want for a variety of topics. So I'm glad they all took the time to come on. Yeah, that's a tremendous uh, cast of guests there you've had in that short span. And they're, they're great podcasts, too. I have listened to them, and excellent, excellent job of interviewing them, too, and Thank keeping you. everything going. So great job. Well, uh, we have a, a big task ourselves tonight because, you know, Jersey 59, um, the Hall of Fame's only given us one name tonight, and it's a good, it's a good one. I mean, it's somebody mm-hmm. that you and I both uh, like because it's a Pittsburgh Steeler. We're both Steelers fans. Uh, that's Jack Ham is our only fifty nine in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which I find that kind of surprising. Do you? Yeah, a little bit. I, I thought there was going to be a few more on there. You know, it seems like for linebackers, the fifties is usually kind of a go to. Um, number series for them so I'm, I'm kind of surprised that there wasn't much uh a lot of players in there but there, there are still some really good players in this list for this number but they're just not quite hall of famers because looking through them you could definitely see that jack separates himself from the rest of the bunch but yeah i mean like i said they, they're still really good players in their own right though 
Yeah, I, I think there's probably a couple we're going to talk about tonight that maybe in the next 10, 15 years we'll see them in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They'll have that bronze bust because yeah, I could see it. Yeah, decent careers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, hey, why don't we start off with our Hall of Famer with Jack Ham? Uh, what do you what do you have on Jack? Yeah, he was often regarded as one of the most intelligent players in the game ever, and especially at his position. Um, one of the best coverage linebackers. He had 32 picks, 21 fumble recoveries. Um, out of 162 games, he started 160 of them over a 12-year career. Six-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler, four-time Super Bowl champ. And he's just such such a, a fundamentally sound player you know he's, he's kind of the person that Paterno and Chuck Noll love to have I was watching Super Bowl nine this weekend against the Vikings and it just seems the guy really was one step ahead of everybody he lined up against you know he was able to wrap up Chuck Foreman bring him to the ground able to read um Fran Tarkington's eyes see where he was going with the ball you know he was running he was covering tight ends and receivers I mean he's definitely a, a guy that I don't think can be replicated his playing style can be replicated today but he's just such a fundamentally sound guy and i love watching him play yeah he was a real headsy player and uh really a a great mentor you know you sort of had you know andy russell leaving this right when the steelers were becoming really good i mean after he put on all the time on some bad steelers team so russell sort of goes off into the sunset and then you have a lot a young linebacker core you know with jack lambert and uh you know a handful of others in there and uh ham was sort of that stabilizing force you know even though he was young himself it was really had the head to, to keep that backers uh you know right on coursing that defense was just incredible of course when you have a defense a like they had it it makes the backers job a lot easier yeah i was listening to his hall of fame speech and he was saying that um that andy russell was one of the most intelligent players he's ever been around and was a big reason why he was the player that he is that he was he was the player that he had the career that he did that he kind of taught him a lot of the nuances and the mental aspect of football that he didn't pay much attention to coming out of penn state yeah, I, I believe it because he was, you know, probably like two years removed from Russell. You would almost think that Ham, you know, embodied Russell because he did a lot of the, you know, the smart plays. You know that uh, you'd see get himself in the right position and you know square up and take downs like you know, take down yeah. big backs. You know, like the Vikings back that you just talked about. You know, Foreman and and uh, you know keeping Trant Harkin was pretty much a, a mad scrambler too. You know, it's no easy mm-hmm. task there either. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, now I, I don't know if he is. Last time I listened to a Penn State broadcast, I think Jack Ham was still doing the color on on Penn State games. Um, it's been, of course, we didn't really have much last year, but I'm not sure if he still is or not. Yeah, I think a couple of years ago he was. I, I don't really watch too much Penn State football, but I think last time I checked, he was still doing something like that. And, and somehow I think he he was involved in a medicinal marijuana. And I, I don't know the extent of what his involvement was, but yeah, I guess he's uh, been investing in that as well. So he keeping himself busy. I see him sometimes on the um, the documentaries on the NFL Network, like the Football Life documentaries. I see him pop up every now and then. So I guess I guess he's willing to keep doing interviews about those days too. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, keep, keep the dice involved alive. with football. You know, he's uh, what, 72 years old now. I mean, that seems unbelievable to think about. Uh, it seems like yesterday he was playing, and uh, it's been quite a while, though, I guess. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, th- I think um, I think we'll both agree that he's probably going on our list uh, right now. I mean, especially being the only Hall of Famer, oh, well, and he's yeah. miles above uh, the other folks we're going to talk about here so far. Yeah. So, so he's number one on our list. All right, uh, so now we're out of the Hall of Fame realm. Uh, where, what player would you like to talk about next? 
Uh, I took a look at London Fletcher pretty hard for the number two spot. He was always a player. I remember him being kind of a standout on the Redskins when they really didn't have a lot of competitive teams during his tenure there. Um, but he had a 16-year career that had pretty solid results. You know, he had 39 sacks, which, you know, as a 4-3 middle linebacker was a lot. Uh, 23 picks. He did win a Super Bowl with the Rams in 99 and went to another one whenever they got upset by New England. Um, he's probably not going to get – he's probably not – gonna make the hall of fame but he had a lot of respect from his peers he had 11 seasons with over 130 tackles had over 2000 for his career he was really consistent from beginning to end i think the last year of his career he had over 100 tackles i think like 115 so he really he really put up stout numbers in consistently throughout his career so i think he definitely deserves a spot on the list yeah, I mean, talk about those tackles. I'm looking at him from 2000 all the way till he re- his last year, 2013. He was a, a, over 100 tackles uh, each season. So that, that's a pretty yeah. good span of, like, I think, 14 years straight. Pretty yeah. good. And you're, you're, yeah. you're, and you're staying healthy, too, because you're not going to get that many tackles, you know, if you're not playing a full full schedule. So he was tough. Yeah. And, and it's hard to not to get injured too in that position because you got the, yeah. the big three hundred pound uh, lineman coming down bearing down your their head hunting you every play. So yeah, one hundred percent. They love to get that second level and take a backer out. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I totally agree with you with uh, Fletcher being the second one going on this list though. So, who, where do we want to go to next and talk about? Well, this might be a little premature, but this might be one of the guys who could end up on the Hall of Fame in maybe 10 years down the road. Maybe not, but I could see it happening, though. I went with uh, Luke Keekley because he, de- he definitely has one of the shorter careers on this list, but he wasted no time making himself one of the premier players in the game. Uh, started all 118 games during his eight years, had over 1,000 tackles, and he's a very cerebral player. There's a great video from a YouTuber named Brett Coleman who does like long form film breakdowns, and it showed he was really displaying like Keekley's intelligence and like recognizing formations and being able to adjust to uh, the offenses um, the offenses tendencies and sort of like winning like that audible game with the quarterback, you know, like Tony Romo would audible into a different play that they ran the day before or that they ran the play before, and Keekley would be right there just making sure everybody was in the right assignments. Uh, he picked off Tony Romo twice in a row, actually, by doing that. So, you know, he really one of the best, like, pre-snap linebackers that I've seen in my lifetime. And I think when it's all said and done, probably the best ever. But, yeah, not a guy that's going to wow you physically. But, man, he was tough as they come and smart yeah. as they come, too. Yeah, most definitely. Like, the only thing that could probably hurt him, you know, he just retired, uh, what, uh, two years ago. 2019 was his last season, and sort of a a surprise. I think he had some kind of an injury those last couple years that he was sort of playing through, and he just decided to hang it up, if I remember correctly. With Carolina Panthers, he had uh, from 2012 to 2019, so was that eight seasons? Uh, Yeah. And. And he, and he hung it up at the but at the top of his game still. And um, in, and in that nine seasons, just you know, seven Pro Bowls, five times as an All Pro, uh, the 2012 uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year, 2013 Defensive Player of the Year, All uh, 2010s Hall of Fame team. I mean, that, that's some pretty good uh, collateral and uh, credits to his name uh, for such a short career, you know, basically playing less than a decade. 
Yeah, and he seems to me, I kind of get the feeling he's going to be like the last of a, a breed, you know, because uh, a lot of middle linebackers in today's system, they're very fluid in terms of playing inside linebacker, lining up on the outside, coming off the field in nickel and dime packages, which increasingly are becoming more of a base defense. But he was a guy that was really just in the middle of, a, uh, he was the middle linebacker in a four-man front. So he was always there just flying from tackle to tackle, really making all the plays, uh, dropping deep in coverage, getting the you know short stuff. He really seems like kind of like the last of a dying breed, I think, that you would find from a guy like Lambert or you know Zach Thomas from the early 2000s. So we'll see yeah, where he goes, but I, I get the feeling that he's we're not going to see too many people like him again in the game. He played uh, fairly light. I mean, he, had, he was six foot three, so kind of a, a tall, tall guy. And but his playing weight's two thirty eight, is what the Pro Football Reference shows. So that's really? kind of, you know, it's kind of a an odd proportion. You know, you would think, for, especially for a linebacker, sounds almost like more like a, a safety or you know, almost yeah. DBs are almost that that weight. But he played I mean, well. But Fle- I guess Fletcher was only two forty two and lasted sixteen years. So maybe that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you know, well, he's he looks shorter on television. I didn't know he was six three. I thought he maybe was six one. Maybe. 6'2", but 6'3", I didn't expect. Yeah, when you're standing in front of those big behemoths on the offense and defensive line, everybody looks uh, small and skinny, don't they? Yeah. Uh, Those are some giant men playing there in uh, in the trenches. So, yeah, I I totally agree with you with with Keekly going going on there. So that's that's, uh, three of our spots uh, filled up. And, um, you know, some, some more great players here. We may start getting ourselves into some trouble here soon because I'm making some decisions. But uh, who, who do we want to talk about next? Uh, I was going to go with Seth Joyner from the Eagles. Right. He was a pretty versatile player that he had over 50 sacks, 26 forced fumbles, uh, unofficially had a 1,000 solo tackles because they didn't keep tackle statistics um, when he was playing, and 24 picks. Uh, only had three Pro Bowls, but, you know, he carried his own weight on those Buddy Ryan defenses. And I kind of almost equate him to like Rodney Harrison of his time at, if Rodney played the linebacker position because you know, he was a guy that seemed like he had a lot of different uses or they used, the coaches used him in a lot of different ways. Um, but he never really stood out at one facet of the game better than the next. But he was still a solid player and you know, versatility. You can stick around the league for a long time. So, Yeah, he was, he was one of those players almost um... – Almost in the light of like a junior sale, when you watch games, you know, mm-hmm. the Eagles game, you know, it seems like all the time, you know, Joyner's in on the tackle or you're tackled by Joyner, you know, yeah. pass deflection by Joyner. He was always around the ball. They just, uh, you know, those guys are special when they have that, that real nose to, to be where the ball is going to be and be where they should be and make a play. So that's, that's yeah. uh, quite a fun thing to watch. Yeah, guys like him always find the ball wherever, wherever it is on the field. And it's surprising. I mean, he came from a, a rather small school. I mean, in Texas El Paso. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I've ever watched Texas El Paso play. You know, maybe maybe I have, and but uh, and I don't remember it. But you know, definitely not uh, from any of the uh, the big bigger conferences. And uh, you know, the Eagles really found a, a diamond in the rough there, I guess, and uh, were knew, really knew what they were doing with their scouting department. And, yeah, Texas. Uh, Texas always thrives at finding, at, you know, giving good players like an opportunity at the smaller colleges that go on to do really well. I mean, you look at Joe Green, obviously. I mean, I mean Patrick Mahomes. Even I mean, Texas Tech is good, but it's not like, uh, you know, it's not the University of Texas. They don't have the same resources, you know. So it's it's interesting right. how a lot of great players that come from like smaller Texas schools ended up doing really well. 
or uh, what's his name, um, Eric Dickerson, when he was at SMU. Right, right. You know, just they have countless examples. Yeah, at least at least A and M and SMU. Those are they play in some big conferences, and you get to see. You know, they get televised yeah. and get some national coverage and everything. Like I said, I'm Texas El Paso. Maybe it's on you know ESPN two or something or you ESPN know, one of those. Deportes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, but you don't don't get to see them very often. So you know, unfortunately, uh, good players that are on those teams in Division Two and Division Three teams, you know, as well, they don't get the coverage, they don't get the publicity, uh, you know, they don't get to be up in the draft very often. And um, I'm not sure where he went in the draft. It doesn't say here in what I'm looking at, but. Um, Hey, wherever he was, you know, he was productive. You know, <laughs> whether he was yeah. in the, the if he was even if he's a first rounder, he very productive career. So, yeah, great, great player. That was a good choice yeah. to, to choose him. And what do we want to do with him? Do we want to put him on the list now, or do we want to wait? I would go ahead and put him on the list. I, I agree. I agree with yeah. you. Okay, uh, who's our next uh, player we want to talk about? Uh, so five, I went with Matt Blair from the Vikings. Okay. Um, yeah, it seems like a lot of the guys on those Vikings teams, especially on the defense, kind of got overshadowed by the front four. Uh, but Blair always had a nose for the ball. He was very multidimensional. Uh, according to NFL Journal, he had 20 career blocks. And strangely enough, most of them were PATs, which is huh. kind of odd. But, you know, he's part of two Super Bowl teams or two teams that got to the Super Bowl with the Vikings. He blocked a field goal in the Super Bowl against the Steelers. Uh, not a standout player, but he did good work on a stout defensive team. So, you know, if you're not playing up to par with your teammates, you're not going to be on the field. So he definitely was uh, – he definitely carried his own way and deserved to be out there with those guys. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Keekley being six foot three. Well, Blair with those blocks, six foot five, and uh, uh, with some big mitts too. So <laughs> I guess yeah. he's a good one to have there in the middle, the blocking kicks. Yeah. Especially the athleticism of a linebacker. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, NFL Journal had a pretty good article where they listed players who had like really good. Uh, I don't know if it was records of like most kicks or just you know, you know, players that were really good at blocking kicks. But it's kind of crazy how some of them. You you would think it's a lot easier than what it is, but some guys just made it look like there was nothing to it. I mean, Ted Hendricks was probably the best example of it. I think he was number one on their list, but he would just uh, he had over twenty five. I think by the time it was said and done. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's 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 incredible. So yeah, usually is. it's the tall, lengthy guys that can either get right up the middle or or speed rush right off the edge. But yeah, I'm def- there's definitely looks like there's an art form to it. I've never have gone through like the coaching perspective of how you coach that. But yeah, that's that's impressive. Yeah, I think it's more of an instinctual and, uh, you know, yeah. being in the right place, right time, and the timing and everything else, you know, involved. And in, there's just players that are really good at it and have a knack at it. And, you know, they're the ones that are successful. So it's, well, it's being like six tr- foot five and having some long arms doesn't hurt either. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more, I think it's definitely more of like a, a position or accomplishment that you make physically, like uh, based off your physical stature. But I don't know, you look at a guy like Troy, they used to just jump over the offensive line. Yeah, that's that's yeah. just a whole different skill set there. It's just a yeah. you know, he's a freak. But <laughs> yeah. So what do you what do you think about him? Do you think he should be on the list or should we put him for, on hold? For Blair, I I have Blair on, on when I was going through and just marking down who I think would be a top ten. I I had Blair on there, so yeah. cool. I have no problem at all putting him on. Okay, um, so where where what direction do we want to go to next year? This might be a guy that we put on hold until later on, but I went with Donnie Edwards. 
who was the linebacker for the Chiefs and the Chargers. He had 28 career picks, 23 and a half sacks, over 1,500 tackles in a, in a 13-year career, uh, 15 fumble recoveries. Uh, he, it seemed like his play was always overshadowed because he played with some pretty outstanding linebackers, you know, like Junior Seau or Derek Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a solid and consistent player that, you know, went nine straight years, I think, without missing a game. And he had a lot of speed to him, too. Um, so I, I think he's someone who deserves consideration and probably will end up making the list. But I think right now having him on hold would probably be fair. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I mean, the, the one thing that, like, sort of jumps off the page on him is his tackles. Uh, uh-huh. He played from 1996 to 2008, so 13 seasons. Had, uh, you know, 1,500 uh, combination tackles, 1,135 solo tackles. Really had yeah. a nose for the ball and, uh, you know, like to put pads to, to backs and uh, quarterbacks and everybody else that had the ball. So it's, yeah, he's a... Yeah, that's that's the thing that really jumps out about him, and I things I remember about his, his play too is he really would stick a hole, and uh, you know, sort of one of those roving linebackers, you know, just filling that hole when a back would go through it. Yeah, I gotta um, I gotta watch more tape on him because usually when I watch Chargers football games from the early two thousands, I'm always looking at Seau. Um, so I definitely need to look more at Edwards, but yeah, I mean the, the numbers are are pretty stout. Obviously, you know, to, compared to some of the other players that he played with you might think that they're not gonna compare as well but yeah he still he still was one hell of a player yeah i, I was kind of surprised when i looked at it he only made it to one pro bowl you yeah. know i i thought him I think. be maybe like a, a three or four pro bowl type of guy and maybe he deserved that and just didn't do it because you know there's a lot of great linebackers in the afc when he played and yeah there's always there's always guys like that today. that just fly under the radar yeah but I, I agree with you. We probably got to wait on him. I don't think he's a, an automatic uh, bid to go on here. Um, but uh, what do you think about um, uh, Bob uh, Brzezinski? Did you take a look at him at all? No, I did not, actually. What did you think uh, of him? He's, he's another one that I sort of uh, – I was kind of surprised at. I don't think he's going to make our list, but I think he, he's worth talking about. You know, he came in in 1977 with the Rams – uh, played with them for four seasons, then went to the Dolphins. Uh, so played basically the whole decade of the 80s with the Dolphins as a, a left outside linebacker. And, you know, we're 59 his entire career uh, for both teams. Only had 14 and a half sacks, uh, but was a very serviceable and, uh, you know, uh, had quite a few starts during his, his career. Um, you know, he had probably about 10 seasons in a row where he was a main starter on either the Rams or the, the Dolphins. Uh, but uh, didn't make any Pro Bowls, didn't have any All-Pros, but I think he's uh, still significant enough to, to talk about, to at least uh, mention here on this program. Like I said, I, I think he's sort of an outside chance of making it, but um, just wanted to give him a little love. I mean, he played that long. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird whenever you're judging guys based off uh, statistics, right, because you can't go back and watch every single play that they ever did and say, oh, well, you know, this one, he didn't get the tackle because, you know, his job was actually more contained than go up, you know, than to bull rush or anything like that. But, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely guys on here who were great role players for their team but never really got a lot of recognition. And I think being on a team in the 80s on the Dolphins with, like, Dan Marino, obviously the defense isn't going to get too much, uh, too much attention, truthfully, so. Right. It, it just sort of depends on the scheme that the uh, defensive coordinators are running, too. You know, sometimes they're they're making players just, you know, eat up blocks and they don't get the stats. And But, you know, 
and that, that could be what he was. But of course, left outside, I, I doubt he's doing that too much. But um, you know, who knows? He might be in yeah. coverage a lot. Um, yeah, there's but, definitely uh, there, there's definitely some players who are just there to clog up bodies and free up for everyone else. Right, right. All right. Uh, well, what what player do you want to go to next? Uh, I went with uh, John Anderson. Okay. For the Green Bay Packers. Uh, started 141 games out of 146 games total. 25 picks, 15 fumble recoveries. Definitely one of those guys who were kind of lost to history since he was sandwiched in between the Lombardi and the Brett Favre years. Uh, but he's in the Packers Hall of Fame. He was voted as a second team uh, player for the NFL All-80s Decade Team. He made the All-Rookie Team after his rookie year. Uh, was voted the most valuable defensive player for the Packers three consecutive years. Um, and a lot of people had a lot of respect for his in- intellect and athleticism. You know, truthfully, as I was reading up on him, a lot of people, it, it, he kind of struck me as like a poor man's Jack Ham in a way. I, I really don't want to say poor man because he probably was a really good player, but um, it, it seems like he was kind of in the same mold as Jack Ham, someone who was very good in pass coverage, very, you know, had good intellect, very good athleticism on the field so I think for those reasons he should be on here I put, thinking put, put him on the list yeah yeah okay yeah yeah I, I agree with you the, um, yeah, he was he probably would have had a lot more press if you played on some good teams but the, like yeah. you said the Packers of the late 70s and the, most of the 80s weren't weren't you know real tough until Did you remember had, him at all I, I don't remember him I mean, the name sounds familiar, but I don't remember him him playing and being a player. So it's just probably just one of those those guys out there, you know. <laughs> but well, I didn't like, watch a lot of Packers games then because they weren't very good, so they weren't on television a lot. Right. It, it felt like to me his pro- his ceiling probably could have been like Chris Hamburger for the um, the Redskins. You know, he, a guy that again was sort of like a Jack Ham s player, but you know he played on you know some good Redskins teams, so you know his name was a little more memorable than Anderson, but. Yeah, I'm curious if I had to watch like a large sample of his games to kind of see how he stacks up against some of the other linebackers of his era. But yeah, the, the numbers to me basically say he should be on here as well. Okay, yeah, I, I agree. So he is our number six player that we put on that top ten list. And let's see, who's our, our next candidate to, to go on this list? Uh, well, for me, this is probably someone that you remember very well on the Browns, Mike Johnson from the late mm-hmm. 80s. Very physical yes. player. You know, those Brown teams in the late 80s were really, uh, really physical team. You know, they had a fun offense to watch as well. They came close a lot of times, but never made it to the big game. Um, he, he was kind of like, um, when we talked about Seth Joyner earlier, a guy that was all over the field pursuing to the ball carrier. He could hold his own in pass coverage, and he always went head up against blockers and ball carriers. He had 26 forced fumbles, over 1,200 tackles, 13 interceptions, 14 and a half sacks. Only had a couple Pro Bowls, but you know, uh, kind of like what we just talked about with the um, what was it? The uh, whose offense were we just talking about? Dan Marino, Miami. Yeah, yeah, he, it's kind of like the same situation. You know, it seems like Bernie Kosar and you know uh, Metcalf got a lot of the attention back then, and they had a receiver named Michael Jackson too. So it uh-huh. seems like that was kind of like the the focal point of that team. But yeah, that defense I think was just as vital to their success as anybody, and he was the anchor in the middle of it. You know, they had a good front four as well. But yeah, watching him play was kind of a a good throwback for me personally because he just played physically every down. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, 1,200 uh, tackles during his career, you know, part of t- t- 1,200. They didn't have uh, solo tackles for – they didn't keep track of that for yeah. most of his career. So it looks real real skewed if you look at pro football reference. Like, hey, how this guy only had 172 uh, solo tackles and 1,200 combination tackles? Well, there's probably eight years where he's all zeros because they didn't keep track yeah. of it. But, yeah, uh, yeah this, this dude was uh, – you know, they, another one that the PA announcer was probably wearing his name out during games because yeah. he was a very active uh, middle linebacker. And you know, did you, like, did you ever go to any of the Brown Steelers games back in the back in that day? Not in that era. I went to a bunch of Browns games in the seventies. You know, the, probably the early seventies, uh, mid seventies. Uh, you know, I got to see Steelers a couple times. Uh, the Oilers, you know, the, the, the AFC Central was just uh, phenomenal. You know, even the Bengals I went and saw a couple times. My uh, father had some friends that had some season tickets, and a lot of times they, they had like four tickets. They couldn't go to the games, and they'd call us up. We're only two hours away. We'd hop in the car and go see it. We'd go watch some pro football, even if it wasn't our team, you know, get to yeah. see some good games. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that whole division, too. I mean, the Bengals were really good for a long time. The Browns were competitive, even going back to, like, Brian Sipe, which I'm sure that was probably who it was that you saw. Yeah, I saw I saw quite a bit of Sipe, you know, yeah. uh, Kenny Anderson with the, the Bengals, you know, Dan oh, yeah. Pastorini with the, the Oilers, you know, of course, Earl Campbell and, yeah. you know, the Pruitt, bro- uh, not brothers, but the Pruitt uh, uh, running backs for uh, the Browns. Uh, mm-hmm. They were both both phenomenal, but yeah, those some great great uh, AFC Central matchups back then. Yeah, yeah, so. I can. I mean, even like the. Uh, I mean, it's like the AFC North now. I mean, obviously Cincinnati. It's probably going to get better with Joe Burrow, but still, it's it always seems like when those three teams consistently have been together, they've always been able to produce some really great rivalries. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. That's they get up for each other. That's for sure. Yeah, that is yeah, certainly. Sure. Yeah, so what do we want to do with uh, Mike Johnson? Do we want to put him on? I would put him on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I had him on, on my, my list because he was a definitely substantial player. Okay, um, who is our, our possible uh, player that could be on uh, our topic uh, conversation next? Uh, how do you feel about Whitney Merciless for the Texans? I don't know if I know much about him. Tell me about him. Yeah, so he's an outside linebacker, or you know, I guess an edge rusher would be a better way to describe him. Um, you know, he's easy to overlook because he's not in a huge market. And while he's been there, there's only been probably a few years where Houston has really been to the playoffs and has done pretty good work. Uh, but he has 53 and a half sacks so far in his career, drafted in 2012. Uh, he's able to rush. He's able to pass rush equally as good in the middle of the field as he is in um, on the edge. You know, there's this really great play that they had against New England in like a divisional game in 2013 or 14, uh, where he rushes the center and he just does a spin move like in the interior line and just stacks Tom Brady and it looks so easy. I mean, and it's just he has great athleticism um, and he has a lot of you know he, he does well in big games he, in eight playoff games he has seven sacks. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah, great closing speed, a lot of ways of getting to the QB. You know, he can bull rush, he can swat the hands or just run around you. Um, we'll see how his career finishes out. But, yeah, I definitely think he's one of the more underappreciated defenders in the game. Um, and he also won Rookie of the Year, too. So, Yeah, okay, but that's yeah. some pretty decent uh, credits to him. I mean, I think it'll be kind of interesting to watch him, especially this year and next year, without having J.J. Watt on the other side, you know, getting yeah. – you know, 
getting all that attention and he's sort of oh. you know out on an island so that might be a little bit uh you know the jj watt factor there to to consider unless they, they maybe they get a premier pass rusher maybe they already did uh, to replace him i'm not sure but it feels to me though like jj is usually hurt by week six you know yeah that's true that's true so i <laughs> I, I think maybe maybe in his first couple of years it was probably a better beneficial to him but i think now it's kind of like uh i think he, he's probably assimilated to doing that for a few seasons now yeah, he's. Uh, I'm just looking at his sack totals. I mean, his rookie year. I mean, six sacks coming out as a rookie. That's pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, his fourth year, twelve sacks was his high point so far. Uh, seven and a half in 2016, and and sort of he must have got injured in 2017 because he only played five games and had one sack. So. Yeah, and I think yeah, last year he was kind of off and on the COVID list too. So in the past few years, uh, okay. it seems like there's been a few derailments to his career but i think if he can kind of get back on track he'll he'll be really good so i think he's probably like a under consideration for the list i'm not sure we would really put him on there just yet but okay yeah let's we'll come back to him though put a little check by him and we'll come back to him i think uh he's in the same category as donnie edwards i think here yeah um uh do you have anybody else in mind you want to go to yeah i'm gonna break the uh linebacker chain and okay. uh, I'm going to go Blair Bush. He played ah. center from 1978 to 1994. I mean, just mm. doing that alone, well, that's a long time to survive in the NFL as an offensive lineman. So just for that, I want to put him on the list. Uh, he blocked for some great backs, and his probably his best days were when he was with the Seahawks when they had Kurt Warner. Um so he wore number. That's usually that's uh, the time of his career when he wore number fifty nine too. So that was most of his career or a big chunk of his career, six years. Uh, he helped those Seattle teams of the late eighties get to the playoffs. Um, you know he protected for Dan Craig or Dave Craig um, for those throws to Steve Largent. Pretty physical player. If you ever get the chance to watch some of his games, so I think he's definitely deserving to be on the list as well. Yeah, I I don't remember too much of his play. I remember the name, um, but uh, yeah, you you make a pretty convincing case for him. So, so I just put him on a consideration I, list then. Yeah, I mean, when I saw that he played from seventy eight to ninety four, I mean that's a pretty big gap. Right between right. B- between when you start and when you end your career. Yeah, and six of those he wore the fifty nine, so he wore a significant number of years uh, during yeah. that. So yeah, and I think yeah, a lot of those, I think a lot of those Chuck Knox teams for the Seahawks kind of are uh, forgotten about now. Not that they really did anything outstanding, but I mean that's kind of a weird period of the franchise's history when they were yeah, still they, in the AFC. Right, they, they were always a gritty team, but you, you know you had some pretty good Raiders teams that were in there. You know the Chargers were up and down during that that yeah. era, and uh, they were they were kind of to me they were kind of like the Houston Texans teams of like the you know twenty twelve to twenty fifteen team. You know, like they were always competitive, always had you know a good streak, but then they were ultimately in the same division as the Colts, so they probably weren't going to go very far you know, right, too often. Right. right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up. I, I didn't even uh, have him uh, in my uh, line of view here. Okay, uh, how about some, some more names? Who do we want to look at? Uh, who did you have in mind? Well, I had um, you know some guys, like I said, the outside chance, but you know I had uh, Vincent Brown, um, you know another linebacker. Uh, 
came came in uh, 1988 with the the Patriots. Uh, stayed with them through '95. You know, kind, kind of a short career, uh, but he uh, started quite a few games uh, for the Patriots during that era. Um, 16 and a half sacks, uh, 737 touchdowns, uh, forced uh, six fumbles. Um, didn't have a, have a lot of credits, you know, no all pros, no, no pro bowls, but uh, it's definitely a name I remember and uh, being a pretty decent player and came from another fairly small school, you know, Mississippi Valley State. You know, how many times do you get to, to hear them talk about that's, that? Uh, that's Jerry that's Rice's cool. uh, alma mater, right? I think it is. I think it yeah. is. So, but yeah, uh, a very, very serviceable player. And I think he played on those same uh, defensive lines, maybe with like Tippett and. At least maybe near oh, yeah. the end of Tippett's career. Yeah. So that's a that's a madman himself. Yeah, yeah. We we just talked about him the the other night with uh, Warren Rogan. Oh yeah. And, uh, so. Yeah. There's a lot of people that would argue he was every bit as good as Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, I don't know if I'd, I'd say that, but uh, he was pretty close. Second, we though. did we did talk about him at the same time as Taylor. So it's, yeah. So. Um, what about Roosevelt Colvin? Um, you know, I didn't really uh, discuss him at all. Or, too much studying on him. What do you got on Roosevelt? Yeah, he he had a pretty short career as well. I think he only he played for eight or nine years. Half of his career was with the Bears. Half of it was with the Patriots. I think he was on the 2007 team whenever they uh, were upset. Um, he, he was always a good role player. I think he his numbers probably stood out more when he was with the Bears because I think his role changed a little bit whenever he went to New England. Uh, he was more of a 3-4 outside linebacker, but didn't really get the gaudy numbers that you would see from a Steelers outside linebacker. Uh, but he was a good role player. He's a physical player. He had he had a multifaceted skill set. was able to do pretty well in coverage. Uh, really good on the blitz as well. Hmm, okay. Probably not a guy I'm gonna, I would vote to put on the list indefinitely, but I think he probably deserves a shout-out. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad, glad to bring, we want to bring up these substantial players, you know, guys that uh, contributed. Um, you know, Lonnie Warwick was uh, another one that I, I thought of. You know, I, could, I saw the name. I said, you know, I, I remember that guy playing too. And he was another one that sort of um, didn't have a real impactful career, but uh, he's a memorable career. You know, my computer just froze up here on him. Um, but he, he was another Minnesota Viking that played, you know, 65 all the way to 72 with the Vikings uh, and then played a couple years with Atlanta. So I remember him sort of at the end of his career with the Vikings, uh-huh. um, you know, that, that purple people eater defense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he had 12 interceptions uh, at the linebacker position in that era where there wasn't a tremendous amount of throwing. Um, right. Uh, we don't have a lot of statistics on his tackles because they didn't keep track of him there. But it's a name I remember, and you know he had an NFL championship um, with, uh, or I'm sorry, NFL championship game win that we made the Super Bowl. But um, I don't know, don't think he's going to make our list. But uh, just somebody I wanted to talk about because uh, it was a substantial career. Yeah, there's also um, Danny Trevathan too. I'm not sure if you remember him. Well, actually, I think he's still uh, playing, but he was on the uh, he was on the oh the Bears. He was on the Bears now, but he was on the Broncos whenever Peyton Manning came over, like in okay. 2012. Uh, so he was on a lot of those. Obviously, again, like you know, most of the attention went towards Manning in that you know offense. I think there were the season he threw like 51 touchdowns. 
Um, and usually on defense, Von Miller was the one that got all the attention. But yeah, he, he had a pretty pretty good career for himself for a solid you know five or six years with them. They went to a Super Bowl. They went to two Super Bowls and won one of them. Uh, and he was always a, cons- a starter in the lineup, so he was pretty consistent for them. And now he's with the Bears. I'm not sure how he's really doing there, but um, he got a three-year contract in 2020, so I guess he still has something left in the tank. Yeah, he's always. I mean, again, you remember his name because when there were names called a lot and uh, people are talking about him, and you see you know a 59 flash around all over the field making tackles, you, you think about him and your name sticks with you. But he's yeah, he's definitely one that that. that you know, I like watching, and he's a, a good one. Yeah, I think in 2013 he had a career high of 128 combined tackles, 88 solo, um, a career high of 10 pass deflections, three interceptions, and two sacks. Hmm, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he seems like he's a solid player. Again, probably not someone we're going to put on the list, but I guess he deserves a shout-out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, do you have anybody else that uh, you want to talk about that had some – substantial numbers that jumped jumped out at you. Uh, not really uh, substantial. I guess there's one more. Wesley Woodyard. Woodyard. You remember him? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I, I would put him on. I guess I'd, I don't know if I'd put him on the list, but yeah, he was someone good, too. He had not, over 900 total tackles, uh, eight picks, seven forced fumbles, two defensive touchdowns. Um, played a lot in like the 3-4 system where he did pretty pretty well at. Also played a lot with the uh, the Broncos too, ironically with uh, Trevathan. So he, again, he was part of like that team that had a really good, uh, yeah, really good defense that didn't get as much notoriety, but you know they still were able to, to contribute more than their fair share. Yeah, and a nice twelve-year uh, career too. You, that, yeah. you gotta give credit to the backers when they're standing out on the field that long. Yeah, definitely. That's a lot of wear and tear in your body. Yeah. All right. Do you have anybody else you want to talk about before we deliberate and try to come up with these last three spots? No, I think that's uh, that's everyone I wanted to touch on. Okay. Uh, so, so we have seven spots, and let me go and review who we put on the list already. We have Jack Ham, London Fletcher, Luke Keekley, Seth Joyner, Matt Blair, John Anderson, and Mike Johnson is who I have that we put on the list so far. And some guys we said we wanted to come back and talk about uh, Blair Bush, uh, Danny Trevathan, I think we wanted to talk about him again, um, Whitney Marcellus, and uh, Donnie Edwards. Donnie Edwards, I feel like, has to be on the list. I, I think so, you too. You get 1,500 tackles. That's that's a pretty impressive milestone. Yeah, that, I definitely agree there. So that takes us to eight. So we have two more. Um, now you made me... Uh, really think about uh, Marcellus a, a little bit here he, yeah. he sort of was flying under my radar but uh, yeah, I, I might put Blair Bush in front of him just because again 1978 to 1994 for an offensive lineman that's right, a, right. That, that, that's really is like an Ironman accomplishment and obviously okay. you know, with offensive linemen it's hard to really quantify their play if you don't watch them in the moment but yeah, uh, you're not going to last that long in the league if you can't play. So I think he deserves to be on it. Okay, I, I agree with you. That's a good point. I hate to screw up the linebacker episode with a center, but <laughs> you got to give him his due. Yeah, no, you got you got to do that. It's not like putting trying to put a punter on in a quarterback uh, episode. You know? Yes, <laughs> well, there, there's a lot of quarterbacks that do also punt, so it may not be that ridiculous, <laughs> like Joe Theismann. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, so we have uh, one more spot. Do you want to put Marcellus in that, or do you have uh, somebody else you'd rather talk about for that? Yeah, I think I think of the remaining crew. I I would definitely put him in front of anybody. Okay. Definitely, definitely more dominant. I think at his position than the other players are at theirs. Okay, so we have uh, Blair, Marcellus, and um, uh, who do we have at eight? Uh, Donnie, Donnie um, Edwards. Edwards taking those last uh, three spots. So. Hey, we did it. Yeah, got it in there again. Solid list. Yeah, so that's a that's a great list. I appreciate you helping me on that. Uh, now, what do you have coming up on the um, the football odyssey that we can look forward to? Uh, there's going to be a film review coming down the pipe soon. Uh, I'm trying to get some players on, um, but obviously some of them can be kind of hard to track down. Some of them are just not interested in you know being interviewed anymore. So I'm really working hard on that. I also wanted to try to get some more authors. It's been a while since I've had, uh, well, I guess I had Upton Bell, but he's a little more than an author to me, though. Um, yeah, but yeah, I try to get some guys who are just authors by trade back on the show and players mainly. So that's kind of like the main focus. But I don't know. It's, uh, usually I have like a big list of things I want. I mean, if, I don't know if you can see my list here. I get like notes that I just shot down randomly until I run out of room. So I think kind of like I think you need a bigger piece of paper there. Yeah, well, I got I usually start fresh with another one, but then it quickly fills up. But yeah, so typically I'll just kind of go through, get inspiration from different sources. You know, sometimes I'll watch a game and think, you know, I wonder if that guy will talk to me, or I'll just see a book that's been on my reading list for a while, go through that, or maybe just come across a random website that I haven't seen in a long time. So it comes from a lot of different ways, but players and authors are kind of two you know, two themes that I want to kind of get steamrolling on the show in the near future. Okay. Um, one other thing I, I want to talk about before I let you go, because this is sort of uh, overlooked, and I don't think people appreciate this much, but your website is, you know, it's outstanding. And I I don't think, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on, on this program when we've had you on, but, you know, thefootballodyssey.com for, for listeners out there to check out. And, you I mean, you really have some great stuff there, the way you have it broke down. Um, you know, you have the subjects of anatomy of the game, and you go in there, and there's all kinds of great football history there, and you sort of have them by, by eras and uh, you know, some significant things, you know, like the origins of the huddle and, you know, the Rutgers-Princeton game, 1869, and some of the pioneer years. And, you know, you go to white collar football, um, American football abroad, uh, football in the media, you know, just, just some great topics that you don't see on a lot of uh, football websites, uh, just sort of some interesting reads and some, you do a nice job on them. So I appreciate it. I, uh, I don't spend as much time on the website now since I've been doing the podcast, but it's definitely something I want to try to be a little more proactive in. Um, I definitely, I'm not the most tech savvy when it comes to web design, so sometimes trying to organize it can be a little bit of a hassle, but I definitely want to kind of give the website a little bit of a makeover, try to keep like the same, um, the same gist of it, but make it something a little more uh, pleasing to the eye, I guess you could say, because it looks pretty basic right now, but uh, that'll be kind of a project I'm going to be taking over in the next couple months, so. See, see, I don't get that when I look at it, I don't get, I look, I mean, I don't get it looks vanilla. 
I look at it as sort of straight and to the point, and it's interesting. And it draws yeah. me in, you know, the attention's on the words that you use, you know. And when you see words like, you know, a, a subject matter of anatomy of the game, I'm like, hey, you know, that's 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 yeah. pretty intriguing. You know, I, I had to dive into that. that. was the first thing I saw, you know, white-collar football. I'm like, hey, what, what's he got on that? And it makes me dive in there. So I, I really like great uh, topics like that. And Yeah. Well, I want to yeah, I, I keep something like that just for me. It's, I mean, sometimes the options can be kind of limited in terms of formatting on the, the um, template that I'm using. So I, I would kind of like to experiment to see if I could keep something that's really simple but still looks kind of contemporary. Maybe not something that's like so blocky, I guess, if I, how I would describe it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see where it goes. Sometimes I, I always say I want to start doing this. And then whenever I start getting back in there and writing some articles, I don't have any issues. So I don't see the point. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Down, we'll come down the road. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate your time uh, tonight. I know you've got a busy schedule here, as everybody does during the summertime, you know. <laughs> Everybody's uh, in, you know, post-COVID. I think COVID's uh, we're about through it, I hope. I heard uh, numbers were, were over like 53% of Americans getting vaccinated now, so that's a, oh, a yeah. good thing. I don't know if they'll make the 70% by the 4th of July. Uh, we are recording this on uh, June 14th, but, hey, you never know. Uh, at least things are a lot better than they were of uh, June 14th of 2020, that's for sure. No, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it looks like the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel has finally arrived, so happy about that certainly yeah and most importantly all the uh i think most of the stadiums i've been hearing reports for they're talking about full capacity by the time football season rolls around i mean that's uh i think like all levels of football except the canadian football league i think yeah yeah i was actually uh i had a friend of mine that came in visiting me in atlanta and we went to the uh, brave stadium and I, I don't really watch baseball so we didn't really go in but there's like the they had full capacity and everything and like all nice. the, the surrounding bars, yeah. I mean, no one here really has any more mask mandates, but yeah, it's uh, it seems like it seems like what it was pre-COVID. You, you know that you just brought up a point. I forgot you're down in the Atlanta era now area. Now, have you been to the College Football Hall of Fame since they moved it down there? No, I have not actually. It's been a really. It, it was on my list for a while. Yeah, I mean, like I think in 2020, I, I kind of made a point to really begin because I I've lived in Atlanta since 2018, August of 2018. So I made it a point to start doing a lot of the sightseeing that a lot of tourists do, or what a lot of most people do when they first move here that I never got around to. But then you know, the global pandemic hit, so that kind of ixnated those plans, and I just have completely forgot about it. And so you mentioned it honestly. But yeah, that, I got. Now is that. Do you know where it's located? Is it located like right at the stadium, isn't it? Or like where Georgia plays? Um, no. Was it the Mercedes Bowl or Mercedes Benz Stadium? Yeah, Mercedes. I don't know if it's in the is same right area. There? It's it's a little closer to the where the um, it's where it's closer to where the uh, Hawks play. Okay. Yeah, which okay. is it's similar. You know, it's still sort of like a central downtown location for Atlanta, but um, it's not like walking distance between the two stadiums. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I think I was watching, like, when they first moved it down there, was it four or five years ago? Maybe been longer ago than that. Uh, they were having a football game. might have been a, a Georgia game. And they were talking about how it was, you know, right there. And I'm like, oh, okay. I thought like, guys are going in the stadium. You walk through the museum and you're in the stadium or something. I didn't know how they had that set up. I, I don't think it's walking distance. I might be wrong about that. But, yeah, I, I was always under the impression it's more – because there's a place called, like, Centennial Park in Atlanta where they have, like, this uh, – big ferris wheel sort of like a mini carnival and i think it's around that area but 
again, I don't spend too much time down there, so I might be wrong about that. But Centennial Park is not where like the bombing was during yeah. the Olympics yeah. back in. Okay, yeah, all right. I knew I knew that name before. Yeah. Okay. So well, you're gonna have to check it out because uh, I talk about the College Football Hall of Fame all the time. Yeah. And I went to the College Football Hall of Fame years ago. It used to be right in South Bend, right off of I-90. You know, almost almost getting into Chicago. Um, on Interstate 90, you, the College Football Hall of Fame was right there off the exit, and you could look south and you could see the Golden Dome of uh, Notre Dame down in uh, South Bend. So. so it used to be in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it was there okay. for years and years. When did yeah, it move? To, fact, when did it move to Atlanta? I, I think I want to say it was like less than a decade ago. Really? I, I want to say like five or six years ago, but you know, as you get older, like I am, your your years all blend together. So I might be <laughs> off on that. Um, but my brother lives in Chicago, so when we would drive up there, uh, we would stop there every once in a while, or at least see the signs for it. But yeah, I, so. I, I, I don't know if I'm making this up, but it sounds like it would be appropriate. Isn't it called like the Chick Fil A College mm-hmm. Football Hall of Fame? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that when they moved it down uh, in Georgia, they got the uh, Chick Fil A as their sponsor to it. Really. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, it, it might make sense that it's pretty close to the stadium because I mean the SEC championship game is always played in Mercedes Benz. It feels like I mean it, it, there's at least two championships. It feels like actually for college football every year that come through Atlanta because you have the uh, the Chick Fil A Bowl obviously, mm-hmm. and then you have the SEC championship game. I want to say there's one more, but I think I could be mistaken. But definitely those two are always played here. Okay, well there's your homework for this year for this summer. Of course, you got nice weather down there all the time. You can go down there any time. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of humid now. How is it? It's getting oh. to that. Yeah, it's getting to that point where, you know, you have to really wear light clothing. <laughs> You're gonna sweat pretty bad. All right. Well, Aaron, I won't keep you anymore. I, I just thought I'd throw that in there, see if we get some tidbits on uh, some vacationers maybe heading down that way. But we'll, we'll put that as your homework. We'll get you next time on that. Uh, try to find out more about the College Football Hall of Fame down there. But uh, again, appreciate your help with the uh, number 59s here. You, you did a great job of researching and bringing some great insight to these uh, football players that uh, preserve that football history, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully I can rejoin you again before you reach number uh, 99. Yeah, I, I think we do have you down for some more. Um, let's scan through the list here real quick so we can let the listeners know. Uh, well, maybe we don't. Yeah, you need to sign up for some more numbers. We need we need some more Aaron Harris on here. So we'll we'll get that off the air and we'll we'll get you get you hooked up. Cool man. But uh, thank thank. Yeah, of course. Thank you. We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're gonna have to punt the ball and get on out of here. But we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines. So be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of sports yesteryear.